Now it is time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Gretchen Steidel, founder and president of Global Grassroots and author of a special new book, Leading from Within, Conscious Social Change and Mindfulness for Social Innovation. Gretchen joins us to share some insights, essentially gifts for us, of awareness of ourselves and of our world. Gretchen Steidel, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Thank you so much. It's an honor. I am just so, I, I guess, overwhelmed with the kind of work that you had envisioned you needed to do in the world, that you are doing it, and uh, now you have written about it to share this so that we are able to learn about what's gone on and really see how we might apply it in our own lives. Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> yes. So your new book, Leading from Within, Conscious Social Change and Mindfulness for Social Innovation. Now, I wonder what part of this is going to jump out at someone. I wonder if it might be the mindfulness piece. Would you say yes, so? It seems, it seems these days that mindfulness is starting to reach the mainstream the way yoga has um, over the last several years. And that's ex very exciting for me because it has so many different applications for personal and societal benefits. And, you know, it's it makes sense, of course, that it has societal benefits because who we are, what we are, is going to manifest itself in the world. So it, it's definitely logical. But really, I never thought of it quite in those terms. I always thought of mindfulness as being something about me and what I am doing for myself. But it, it Everything that we do, it reminds us everything we do has that impact on those around us, the things around us. Precisely. I mean, mindfulness is, of course, something that we practice on our own, and it starts, everything starts with ourselves. Uh, the, the basic definition of mindfulness is simply paying attention on purpose in the present moment um, with a quality of more curiosity but and without any judgment. So we're just noticing what we're experiencing inside ourselves, such as, you know, we're getting really frustrated um, with the traffic, or we're noticing what's happening uh, outside and around us in our external environment with really intentional attention. Um, but what I think we might not realize is that mindfulness is itself a form of brain training. It's like exercise for the brain. It actually changes the structure and functioning in our brain in a lot of different ways the more that we practice it. And by doing that, that allows us to no longer be operating on automatic pilot. Um, it allows us to understand people better, thus have better relationships. And where I'm really intrigued is using mindfulness as a tool, as a design tool for solving social problems. It helps us by understanding people better, to understand the issues better, and to solve problems more effectively. And this isn't just theory, because in discovering it first for yourself and using it in your life, this is the really intriguing thing, I think, is to take it to work in the world perhaps where there are such challenges, so much strife going on. So you took it to Africa. I did. Now, first, it was really simply a tool for myself to be able to handle my own stress, the stress of 
starting an organization, bearing witness um, to a significant level of suffering in the world. Um, but as I delved more deeply into the work that I was doing, I saw, um, you know, just incredibly well-intentioned people that were doing good work in the world, but they were burning out. Um, this started in my work um, on the front lines of the Darfur genocide that was unfolding in um, Western Sudan, and I saw aid workers that were literally quitting jobs after six months because they just couldn't be in that environment any longer. I saw angry activists doing whatever they could to get the attention they needed on the crisis and sometimes reaching points where their own ethics were coming under question. And I saw amazing nonprofits with a common mission that were openly competing with each other, not just for resources, but as well for attention, for celebrities. And it felt to me like this entire industry needed to take a pause, to take a breath. Um, and then when I got on the ground, the work that I've been doing in Rwanda and Uganda now um, over 11 years, I saw, again, well-intentioned people trying to contribute to making these communities um, you know, have greater levels of well-being, but they were imposing their agenda in ways that were not always aligned with what people actually needed. Again, a place where greater mindfulness could really go the distance in, in creating more effective transformation. And we might often speak about, or people will toss out the word empower, empowerment, uh, of, of the people themselves, but... It's really difficult to do that if we're going to be imposing our ideas. But with mindfulness, that's really seeking the individual, the self, to bring that forward. And it makes sense because it really relates directly to their place, to their home, to what is important there. That's right. So for the people who want, there are so many of us that really want to make a difference, whether that's in our own backyard or someplace far overseas where we've had some contact and feel close to a place or an issue or a population. And the first step is to really invest in your own level of self-awareness. By doing that, we start noticing our own patterns of reactivity, the ways that we have difficulties adapting to change or the way we get stuck, you know, really grasping at wanting something. Um, and that helps us um, as we go through our own process of change with awareness. It helps us understand what drives other people to change or to resist change. That's going to bring a greater level of compassion and understanding to the transformation we want to create in different communities. So that's the first step. And then there is a whole process of, of working in local communities more mindfully that really involves honoring their unique wisdom and ideas and providing a support as a partner, not as someone who's imposing, to um, allow and support self-sufficiency and local agency and local solutions that will work so much more effectively in their context. And I've learned this again and again in my work through global grassroots, working with women survivors of war in post-conflict environments. Really what comes forward from this is 
rather than saying, I have all the answers, I being this kind of nebulous, whoever out in the world, we come there and we say, we have the solution for you. There's just so much disrespectfulness in that. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't work as well. Can I, can I share a quick story? About Please. That? Yes, of course. So um, we started our work outside of the capital of Rwanda, Kigali, in a mountainous area called Gahanga, where women have to walk up to three miles um, or maybe even further each day, round trip down a hillside to a dirty, contaminated well, and then they've got to carry their water back up the hillside again. And, you know, people carry these jugs that weigh up to 50 pounds, and that's five gallons. That's all they get to use for their entire family's needs. But that's horribly difficult to have to carry up a hill. And so it takes a long time. Now, the water's already contaminated from runoff from latrines, which create waterborne illness. But women who travel those distances are often at risk of sexual violence traveling to remote places. Um, And it takes so long to get home. Sometimes it's a trigger for domestic violence for husbands that have been waiting too long for that water. So some women might send their girls to go collect water. And that means girls won't go to school on time. They fall behind and sometimes drop out. Um, Or they can hire a man to deliver it for them on a bicycle. Uh, But sometimes women can't afford to pay their fee. And these men often... Um, require women to trade sex each day for the water that they deliver that their families need. So when we sat down with this family in Gahanga, we, this community, we sat down with a group of women, uh, 19 women who'd convened to talk to us about water issues and why they mattered to them. And they shared with us all of these different issues related to it. Now, we could have just come in and said, hey, you need some water, we'll just build your well and we'll hand it over to the leadership of the village. But that doesn't mean that that leadership would actually understand all of these different issues or even care about those that were most vulnerable being sexually exploited. Instead, we asked the community what they wanted to do. And we supported them in designing and funding their first water venture. And what they did was these 19 women They put a tank next to a church, and they collected water off of the roof by a gutter system, uh, and they filled the tank, and they purified it, and it was right in the middle of town, so anyone could get to it, and they sold it to those who could afford to pay for it, and they were able to um, give it away for free to the vulnerable women who had um, been sexually exploited, and they knew who they were amongst themselves, so they could do it really discreetly. Well, they started serving 100 households. And these women who were sometimes in their mid-70s would sleep side by side at night next to their tanks. Uh, but soon, if they got sick, um, men who their husbands started to value this project would offer to take their shift instead uh, to help those women. So they started to see gender relations shift in the ways that men were sharing chores. Then they started teaching others about their work. And they started using their profits to start a microcredit revolving loan fund, giving women a little loan to start a small business. Um, Then they expanded their work to three new sites, and now they are still operating sustainably, serving close to 9,000 people with clean water eight years later. And this team of 19 women, only seven of them actually know how to read. 
They're largely illiterate, but they are seen as the first to bring development to their community. They're speaking up at local meetings. They're teaching others their, their tools. And they have, they have become the leaders themselves. And that would never have happened if we had imposed ourselves and did not trust the wisdom and the courage and the um, capacity of local women to lead. And it was, though, your part in it and you with your group of people were able to engage in conversation to bring this out. Would they have been able to do anything like that without this external support? Well, this is why our partnerships are so critically important. What Global Grassroots does is find these teams of women who've never had the training, the resources, or the opportunity to advance their own ideas, and they go through a two-year training program with us in how to do it, how to learn how to manage finances, how to train uh, and design their own organization, um, you know, and how to manage that as a small nonprofit that will continue to invest in their communities. And um, then we fund their projects. And many times, building a water infrastructure project, for example, can cost Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, which these women living on two dollars a day would never be able to afford. So the partnership is important, but we also have to, with our mindfulness approach, recognize what is the role we can play and how to make sure that we step back and be aware of the ways that we're, you know, think we know what's right. Now let's mention this nonprofit organization because for one thing, of this incredibly important work that's being done in the world, the empowerment of women being able to not just do something now in their own village, but it's just growing and expanding. So the nonprofit is? Well, so the the nonprofit, my nonprofit that supports these women's enterprises is called Global Grassroots. The group that I mentioned in Gahanga is called Hard Workers, and this is a local community-based organization that's now serving those 9,000 people with clean water. And every year we bring on uh, a number of new such ventures that um, we have a chance to take through our process. And as a result, uh, for literally only about $8 a person, um, we are able to help these women create such transformative change. Those numbers are really phenomenal. What happens with this kind of support, with our supporting the work that Global Grassroots is doing, is that it then becomes uh, self-sufficient, really, and they train and continue growing so that you can leave them, essentially, to function independently. Right, Gretchen? Exactly. You know, our our hope is that we can support any woman and young woman. We also have a a program for young women out of high school who have ideas for change that with this first opportunity, they now know they have the tools and they have a sustainable source of revenue to keep creating change to address whatever issues affect them most in their community. That's a priority to them. So they do become these engines for change and they're mindful leaders in and of their own right. And this is the methodology that we have you know, developed over the last 11 years through Global Grassroots that's now 
um, shared the practices and the methodology of how to explore change from this kind of perspective um, in this book. And it applies anywhere. If you're a, a small community um, looking at, at dealing with immigration issues or police and uh, race relations, these are methodologies that you can use to kind of surface local wisdom and be able to collaboratively, inclusively, and responsibly um, um, affect change more mindfully. Exactly. So in in this new book, Leading from Within, you really go through sharing stories, but really having us have the opportunity to look at how we... Uh, how we have mindfulness in our own life in these various different ways. And you devote chapters in the book to looking at it from different perspectives. Isn't that so? That's right. So I have uh, throughout the book uh, practices and tools and frameworks for each person to look at how they can practice this in their own lives, how they can infuse their relationships with greater mindfulness and compassion, how they can integrate this within their organization and their workplace or the teams and communities they're working with, and then how to use it step-by-step as a way of solving, understanding and solving the issues that are most important to them in their communities. The thing is that the working at it in this way, uh, yes, it's empowering. Uh, respectful comes to mind too, but it has so much more uh, opportunity to succeed because there is that uh, investment from the individual rather than being told, well, here's what you're going to do. It, it just falls flat. But when we have decided as this group, as this entity, this is something that we need we all contribute to it, we can see that uh, that investment, that personal investment, is so key to any kind of success. It's very true. So, I mean, think of the way change is unfolding for, for the most part, especially in politics. We tend to be uh, organized in self-interest groups, and we use sticks and carrots, or we sort of try to tell or force people to comply with what we want or to win, uh, to get our policy or our solution enacted. And this often results in a level of divisiveness where we sort of look at the other as being um, the problem and blaming, and sometimes even demonized, uh, and that our way is the right way and the only way. But the results are really incremental. You know, over, over time, you know, the minute those punitive measures or incentives or policies are overturned, then behavior will go back to the way it was or it'll shift again with whatever the next thing that is enacted. If you want to look towards real transformation, long-term sustainable transformation, the most successful change agents tend to be interdriven with a focus on the common good, not just their own self-interest. They are understanding change from within, from their own experience and more of a human-centered focus of, of, of how people experience change. And they understand that through mindfulness and their own compassion, which allows them to kind of set aside their own agenda and ego and to really consult and engage all stakeholders. They look for understanding and compromise as strategies to reach uh, common ground as opposed to seeing that as failing. 
they're focused on learning from this process about themselves and others, not at the expense of others for their own gain. And, and they look at the roots and the whole system to see what kinds of intervention is going to meet most needs, values, and um, priorities, and they draw their solutions from all parties that have a stake in the issue. And so as a result, the final outcomes are more inclusive, they're more creative, they're going to be more responsive because they're not just someone pushing their agenda, they're really listening to what might be needed most, and they're going to result in longer-term transformation because people have some stake in it, some ownership, and that's why more conscious social change tends to work more effectively. And we can see how this has implications and great usage right in our own communities these days, because we just do see uh, across the country people looking at issues and, and engaging and wanting to do things, but, but there's a lot of clashing that goes on. Thus, there's room for learning here, for understanding and approaching it. Consider approaching it from this different perspective, looking at it more mindfully. Very true. Um, I think there would, I mean, just look at political discourse on any major topic. If we spent a lot more time trying to understand the intricacies of the issues on the quote-unquote other side, there might be uh, and asking for ideas um, from all stakeholders, there might be a much more comprehensive, holistic and creative solution that emerges. Um, But we spend a lot of time in a place of obstruction and winning and otherizing that we no longer can hear each other. And so it starts with ourselves. With greater mindfulness, we can understand our own role in the system. We can take accountability for that. We can look at where um, our own assumptions and fears are playing out. And we can start to dismantle inequity um, and, and begin to work towards real social justice. And we can see that really there's such power here, and you share stories of this throughout the book, throughout leading from within, that working on ourselves it really critically is the most important thing. This is where we start, is with ourselves. But we see what a difference that can make in the world if we come from that place of knowing ourselves, of being mindful. It really translates and can transform that situation and and help others to um, take on that change themselves. Absolutely. I think... The minute you have the opportunity to understand how things affect you personally, the more you are going to have a deeper understanding and compassion for other people and how they're dealing with the circumstance. Um, That goes without saying. That level of empathy is critical in being able to be a decent problem solver, a a leader or manager, and even in any relationship. That's, That's important. And it's not a difficult thing. It can be done in the moment. It helps to really consider this ahead of time and and have that awareness of self. But I I think of a story that you share of how you weren't sure whether uh, the women, and I think it was in Rwanda, right? Would you share that story? 
Yes, yes. So um, I have a whole range of different mindfulness practices that I tend to share with people. And certainly we do meditation where we're just sitting and noticing our breathing. But we also have different practices that we use every day. So for example, um, oftentimes when we are uh, frustrated or we feel sort of triggered by something, um, we immediately react. And that can cause harm if we're not thinking of it. I mean, just think of the email you might have sent a little too quickly and later thought, oh, I probably should have waited. <laughs> or when someone cuts you off in traffic, we get angry and or we snap at people when we're irritated. So um, those are simple examples, but sometimes there can be greater harm. And instead, if we have a practice of taking three breaths before we react, we might actually be able to catch ourselves and respond more wisely. Uh, certainly none of us want to be controlled by our emotions. So just taking three breaths the minute we notice we're feeling something can really help us. Well, I was teaching this practice to a group of Rwandan men and women, and I usually ask them to practice it at home and then come in and tell us a story about how it's working. And so one day I was asking about this three-breath practice, and a woman raised her hand and uh, started sharing about her circumstances. And what she said was that, the day before, she'd cleaned her house really perfectly before she'd arrived at my class. And when she went home, she realized her children had messed the whole house up. Well, this is, uh, uh, you know, in, in her environment, corporal punishment is relatively normal. And usually she would just spank or beat her children be, uh, for discipline purposes. But in this particular circumstance, she remembered what I had taught her. And she stood there for a second and she took three deep breaths. And she realized she did not want to hit her children. She just wanted them to clean up the house. She was able to really separate that. And so she instead explained to them why she wanted the house neat. And she stood there and she waited for them to do it. And they did. They cleaned up the house. And this woman was profoundly affected by the fact that she didn't actually need to use a level of violence to get them to comply. Well, this one was amazing for me that, you know, a, a practice I had offered had actually landed. But even more so, this woman was working on a venture related to domestic violence and child abuse. And so she, from experiencing this process and realizing how hard it is to stop your automatic behavior, brought her a different level of compassion about how to deal with those who are engaged in domestic violence. And she decided to add into her programming work on parenting, especially for parents of boys so that they would not use violence anymore in raising their children if they wanted to teach them to grow up to be respectful and not use violence in the home. So it was one single practice became the impetus for significant transformation in their community. And this is how simple it is, how we can really make this change. I think that story is, is just incredible because it has so many messages in that way as to how simple this is and what a profound difference it can make uh, for any of us at any time. I'm sure we can find a, an application, you know, in uh, 10 minutes from now when we encounter someone. Exactly. All it takes is a breath to start the practice of being more mindful. That is so ideal. Gretchen, this is uh, such important work. Uh, it can't be stressed sufficiently how it impacts our life, whether which is important on a personal level, but also 
if we're wanting to take it out into the world, if we feel passionate about uh, some kind of change that we see that needs our attention. So this book, of course, is available at all of our favorite book sources, correct? That's correct. And on the MIT Press website or Amazon. And that is Leading From Within. Gretchen, we should spell your last name in, if, in case they want to search for it uh, online. Yes, S-T-E-I-D-L-E. And you can also go to my personal website, ConsciousSocialChange.org, to find links to the book as well as a companion toolkit of practices that you can use on your own or with a team or community. Um, uh it is also shown as a link on my organization's website, globalgrassroots.org. And I'm going to mention that, uh, you know, just this season of the year, as we wind down the year and we think of gift giving or we're thinking in terms of tax taxable donations or tax-free donations, that kind of thing, that... To consider that a way of recognizing someone who has too much of, of many things, that this is a way to recognize important work being done in the world and think of uh, making this kind of donation. Thank you so much. I would be grateful for anyone's uh, investment in mindfulness and support for this work. Well, Gretchen Steidel, it's been so wonderful and informative to have a conversation with you this morning. Thank you so greatly for your learning and awareness and for sharing it with us in such an important way. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Gretchen Steidel and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I so greatly appreciate that you've shared this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, just find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the Arner tab, then Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of awareness of the control that we have in our life. Isn't that a gift? Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, a station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.